Hi, I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now! Please support our independent journalism at democracynow.org. That's democracynow.org. Your donation will be matched dollar for dollar. Thank you so much. From New York, this is Democracy Now! I think Israel has come out this time clear that it is after every one of us, not only in Palestine, but worldwide. It is after the truth. It wants to commit its atrocities in the darkness. And today, everybody, like, like this demonstration, is saying, you commit your war crimes and crimes against humanity, but not in darkness. We shall reveal it. We shall follow and pursue every war criminal, and everyone should be served with justice. Israel continues to attack refugee camps and other areas across the Gaza Strip. As health officials say the assault has killed more than 21,500 Palestinians over the past 12 weeks. UNRWA says the besieged territory is facing catastrophic hunger. We'll speak with Hassan Zumla, Palestinian ambassador to the United Kingdom. As Israel admits extensive collateral damage, a new United Nations report condemns the rapid deterioration of human rights in the West Bank, where it says at least 300 Palestinians have been killed since October 7th by Israeli soldiers and settlers. The dehumanization of Palestinians that characterizes many of the settlers' actions is very disturbing and must cease immediately. We'll speak with Francesca Avanesi the United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Occupied Palestinian Territory. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Another 187 Palestinians have been killed in Gaza over the past 24 hours as Israel continues to attack refugee camps and other areas across the Gaza Strip. Gaza health officials say the Israeli assault has killed more than 21,500 Palestinians over the past 12 weeks. In central Gaza, Israeli attacks killed at least 35 Palestinians in the Nusrat and Maghazi refugee camps. At least 20 more Palestinians died when Israel attacked a residential building near the Kuwaiti hospital in the southern Gaza city of Rafah, which is overflowing with displaced Palestinians. One 13-year-old Palestinian girl named Nadine Abdelatif said Israel bombed the shelter where she and her family were staying after their home in Gaza City was blown up and one of her brothers killed. Where am I supposed to go? Children were killed here. 26 people were killed here. I'm terrified. I'm scared. And the thought of me being killed or my, bro my other brother being killed just crossing my mind uh, repeatedly. I already lost my older brother. I can't lose my younger brother. I have no, no one left. No one to look up to. You can clearly see that the houses are sticked together. So when they target one house, they're, they're targeting a whole block by this point. And it's unfair. Why can't we live normally? Why can't we live 
a normal life. I mean, we're children and we're people. Children were killed here. Imagine, children, babies. In more news from Gaza, Israeli military officials have admitted it carried out a deadly strike on the Maghazi refugee camp on Christmas Eve that killed at least 70 Palestinians. The IDF says it, quote, regrets the harm caused to civilians and claimed Israeli troops had used the wrong type of bomb. An Israeli official said, quote, the type of munition did not match the nature of the attack, causing extensive collateral damage, which could have been avoided, unquote. Despite the admission, Israel continues to attack the Maghazi refugee camp. On Thursday, at least five people were killed when Israel bombed a U.N.-run girls' school at the camp, which was housing displaced Palestinians. According to UNRWA, the U.N. Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees, at least 308 people at U.N. shelters in Gaza have been killed so far. Another 1,100 have been injured. The United Nations is also warning about increasing Israeli military and settler attacks in the occupied West Bank. According to the U.N., at least 300 Palestinians, including 79 children, have been killed in the West Bank since October 7th. On Thursday, the U.N. High Commissioner for Human Rights, Volker Turk, decried settler violence targeting Palestinians. The dehumanization of Palestinians that characterizes many of the settlers' actions is very disturbing and must cease immediately. I call on Israel to take immediate, clear and effective steps to put an end to settler violence against the Palestinian population to investigate all incidents of, of violence by settlers and Israeli security forces. In Tel Aviv, hundreds of people took part in Israel's largest peace rally since Israel began attacking Gaza after the October 7th Hamas attack. Protesters called for an immediate ceasefire and the relief of the release of hostages still held in Gaza. This is Alonli Green of the Jewish Arab Peace Coalition standing together. We are here to say that the war and the way of wars has achieved nothing. The way of the right wing of Israel, of one war after the other, of only using military power to try and achieve some change in reality, have achieved only destruction and death and killing of innocent people. So we are here sounding a voice of a different path, a path of independence, of equality, of freedom for all, a path of Israeli-Palestinian peace agreement. In other news from Israel, authorities have determined an Israeli woman who is thought to have been taken hostage on October 7th was actually killed during the Hamas attack. The 70-year-old Judith Weinstein Haggai was a mother of four and grandmother of seven. She held Canadian and U.S. citizenship. She lived in Kibbutz near Az with her husband, Gadi Haggai, whose death was confirmed last week. He was a dual U.S.-Israeli national. Meanwhile, on Thursday, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu canceled a scheduled war cabinet meeting to discuss Israel's plan for Gaza after the war ends over disagreements with Finance Minister Bezalel Smotrich, who opposes proposals for the Palestinian Authority to help run Gaza. Here in the United States, in Maine, 
The state has joined Colorado in barring Donald Trump from the Republican primary ballot over his role in the January 6th insurrection. On Thursday, Maine Secretary of State Shanna Bellows issued a written decision saying the insurrection clause in the 14th Amendment makes the former president ineligible to run for public office again. In her ruling, Bellows wrote, quote, I am mindful that no secretary of state has ever deprived a presidential candidate of ballot access based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. I am also mindful, however, that no presidential candidate has ever before engaged in insurrection, unquote. Trump's campaign has vowed to appeal the ruling. A campaign spokesperson described Bellow's decision as, quote, partisan election interference efforts that were, quote, a hostile assault on American democracy, unquote. The U.S. Supreme Court will likely have the final say on Trump's ballot eligibility. Last week, Colorado's Supreme Court barred Trump from Colorado's primary ballot, but Michigan's Supreme Court has ruled he can stay on the Michigan ballot. At least 16 people have been killed in Ukraine after Russia launched a massive wave of missile and drone attacks targeting the capital, Kyiv, and other cities, including Lviv in the west, Odessa and Zaporizhia in the south, and Dnipro and Kharkiv in the east. The Ukrainian military said it has, quote, never seen so many locations targeted simultaneously, unquote. The attacks come days after Ukraine struck a Russian warship and occupied Crimea. Meanwhile, The New York Times is reporting that Russian President Vladimir Putin has been signaling for months through intermediaries that he's open to a ceasefire deal that would allow Russia to keep Ukrainian land it seized during the war. The U.S. Justice Department is threatening to sue the state of Texas if it begins enforcing a new law empowering police to arrest anyone they suspect of entering the United States without authorization. The law was signed last week by Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott. Meanwhile, CBS is reporting Border Patrol this month has taken into custody more than 225,000 migrants who attempted to cross the southern border outside of an official crossing. That's the highest monthly total in the agency's history. Earlier this week, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador in Mexico City as the Biden administration looks to further limit the number of asylum seekers arriving at the southern border. And one of Argentina's most powerful labor unions has called for a national strike next month to protest the shock therapy economic policies of Argentina's new president, Javier Millet. The General Confederation of Labor called for the strike to take place on January 24th. 24. On January 24th, we are going to hold a strike and will mobilize to Congress to support those Congress members who agree that this cannot happen in Argentina. Because if they give all of the public power to a president for two years and he can renew it for another two years, we'll be facing a situation where a president is going to have, during his entire mandate, the sum of public power and the institutions will not be respected and nothing will be respected. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman.
Another 187 Palestinians have been killed in Gaza over the past 24 hours as Israel continues to attack refugee camps and other areas across the Gaza Strip. Gaza health officials say the Israeli assault has killed more than 21,500 Palestinians over the past 12 weeks. In central Gaza, Israeli attacks killed at least 35 Palestinians in the Sirat and Magasi refugee camps. At least 20 more Palestinians died when Israel attacked a residential building near the Kuwaiti hospital in Rafah, the southern Gaza city, overflowing with displaced Palestinians. In more news from Gaza, Israeli military officials have admitted it carried out a deadly strike on the Maghazi refugee camp on Christmas Eve that killed at least 86 Palestinians. The IDF said it regrets the harm caused to civilians and claimed that Israeli troops had used the wrong type of bomb. An Israeli official said, quote, the type of munition did not match the nature of the attack, causing extensive collateral damage which could have been avoided. Unquote. Despite the admission, Israel continues to attack the Maghazi refugee camp. On Thursday, at least five people were killed when Israel bombed a girls' school housing displaced Palestinians. Meanwhile, UNRWA, the UN Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees, has renewed its call for a ceasefire in Gaza, saying the besieged territory is grappling with catastrophic hunger. For more, we go to London, where we're joined by Hassam Zumlut, the Palestinian ambassador to the United Kingdom. Ambassador, welcome to Democracy Now! If you can just respond to this latest news, Israel's admission that they said they were apologizing for causing uh, unnecessary collateral damage, um, what this means, and overall, if you can talk about what's happening in Gaza, in fact, the place where you come from. Hello, uh, Amy. Uh, well, killing 187 uh, Palestinians, uh, primarily uh, children and women, in UN shelters, girls' school, is not collateral damage. Uh, uh, more than uh, 21,000, as you uh, reported, mostly 70% of them are women and children. And by the way, we have 8,000 unaccounted for under the rubble, so the numbers are going to be much higher. Rescue teams are unable to reach, uh, let alone uh, 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 rescue all these people under the rubble for days and weeks. Uh, what Israel is doing uh, uh, is uh, 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 the first ever uh, on-air genocide. This is uh, not just about how many they're killing, primarily families and civilians. It's also about turning Gaza completely lifeless, unlivable. And you have all reported the targeting of the very infrastructure of Gaza, be it hospitals, be it schools, universities, uh, uh, and weaponizing food and water, starving 2.3 million people and displacing almost 2 million, most of them in Rafah, while still bombarding uh, the very area they claim to be safe, is a very classic design of genocide and ethnic cleansing. I think Israel has been engaged since its establishment in one theory, one ideology, one idea. It wants the land, all of the land, without the people. Uh, remember the mantra that, uh, you know, a, a land uh, uh, without a people for a people without a land. And this explains much of uh, the Israeli actions. Otherwise, nothing justifies uh, what, is, uh, what has been happening over the last uh, 12 uh, weeks. And here, 
The problem really, really is not Israel. Israel is committing crimes against humanity. Israel will have to be held accountable. Its generals, its politicians will have to be behind bars and justice will have to be served. And we Palestinians must think about our right of self-defense. This is number one priority. And our priority now is a, a complete, comprehensive, permanent ceasefire because we cannot even assess the situation unless the, the mass killings of Israel uh, ends. Uh, we want to see a massive humanitarian assistance immediately together from all sides, airlifted, sea-lifted and what have you, because the level of catastrophe is unprecedented in recent uh, human uh, history. We have to prevent Israel's actual real plan of pushing people out of Gaza towards Sinai, the ethnic cleansing, and we must sure that Israel does not take any part of Gaza as they have been uh, claiming. But there, we must revisit uh, all that happened, uh, including the U.S. role, Amy. And here we very much regret. You know, the U.S. has been losing its credibility, its standing over years and, and, and decades. But this time is different. This time is absolutely different. For many, many experts are, uh, and, and lawyers are looking into the, U, the U.S.'s direct material uh, participation, contribution to the genocide we're talking about. Yeah, but we leave that to the lawyers. But definitely the U.S. could have prevented uh, these atrocities that have uh, 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 really shocked humanity uh, all over, but it did not. As you know, it did, it did use the veto power to stop uh, the Security Council from taking its own uh, uh, responsibility of enforcing law and order. Uh, and the Biden administration will be remembered by this. We will not forget the Biden administration is complicit. It has enabled Israel to do so. It has enabled Israel to uh, uh, drag the whole region into this uh, uh, instability. It has enabled Israel to uh, drag the whole world. Look what is happening to the international order, the rules that we created together after the Second uh, uh, World War, the horrors of the Second World War, when we all said never again. The U.S. is there going out of its way to shield Netanyahu. And Netanyahu and the Smotrich and the Bengvir, the most fanatical supremacist government in the history of mankind, not only Israel. And then the U.S. is there to shield this government. And the U.S. knows that this is Netanyahu's war. This is Netanyahu's war of choice. Netanyahu is doing this only to save his political career. He's not doing this for Israel's security. He's not doing this for any prospects for his people. He's doing this because he knows the moment the guns, his guns, would stop uh, the moment the, the political guns will turn against him and he might end up in court and in jail. And then the U.S. fails to be the grown-up in the room is a moment uh, to taint the U.S. for a long, long time to come, to taint the Biden himself personally and his every member of his administration. What exactly do you think President Biden should be doing right now? To stop the carnage, first and foremost. A president of, of the United States of America, and the, given the, the, the Constitution, the making of the U.S., the Bill of Rights of the U.S., your history, uh, uh, a president sitting there seeing all these children, hearing the U.N. Secretary General saying Gaza has become graveyard of children, and I'm sure he sees all these footages, and allowing this, enabling this, spinning this, giving Israel the political, legal, Material cover to do this, you know, every every bomb Israel is dropping on our children is American made. These 2000 pounds uh, 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 bombs that they have been dropping and you've just quoted uh, their spokespeople saying that, ops, these bombs kill many people that when we intended this bomb has more collateral damage. 
these are American bombs. So who's responsible here? So America would stop this now if they stop providing Israel with, with weapons, with bombs, with these lethal weapons that have ended up in the bare bodies of our children. So America is responsible, Amy. It is responsible. And it must stop sending weapons to Israel immediately. And it must stop vetoing our efforts at the Security Council to stop this carnage, this madness. And by the way, Amy, this madness is not going to stop only on the borders of Israel-Palestine. You are already seeing the region. And, uh, you know, more than six arenas are engaged now. And Israel is bombarding Lebanon, Syria, uh, uh, Yemen is involved. And God knows what will happen next. But also, the effect of this on humanity, I mean, on liberal democracies. Look, look what is happening in the U.S. Look at what is happening in the U.K. and everywhere. There are some politicians who are going out of their way to shield Israel and in the process undermining the very foundation of liberal democracies, like people's right to protest, to speak, to express, to boycott. In your, in your country, in the U.S., you know, many states have used the power of the law, legislating, so people will have to, in a way, sign a contract if they are going to deal with the federal government or any public body, that they will never boycott uh, anything to do with Israel, even the settlement. Here in the UK, they're using the power of the, of the law to make sure that here people will not divest from the illegal settlements. The illegal colonial settlements, according to UK law, US law and international law, of course. So this is a moment when everybody, that's why, by the way, I mean, you've seen the hundreds of thousands of people here, here behind me in London uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you will see many of them because these millions of people here and worldwide have discovered that actually Israel is not just oppressing the Palestinians. Israel is oppressing every one of them. Israel is oppressing humanity. Israel is dragging the entire world into this immoral orbit of wars and oppression and suppression of an entire people. And in the process, the world is losing its own international system, i.e. the United Nations, the Security Council, all the rules we created after the Second World War. What is the international order? What is the essence of the international order? It is that war should not be the first option. That's number one rule. That's why we have Security Council to prevent wars. Number two, should wars be an option? There are rules for these wars. The Geneva Conventions, one of which is don't target civilians, and you must protect civilians as an occupier. And number three, there is accountability should war crimes uh, have been uh, committed. The U.S. has completely destroyed, enabled Israel to destroy all these provisions and rules and premises of uh, the international order. And, Amy, if you allow me, and this is for the Biden administration to think about very seriously, to think about the impact, the impact that Israel has normalized the mass murder of children, the mass murder of families and civilians, the mass destruction of hospitals, schools, universities. Normalizing such scenes is going to have severe, severe consequences on our humanity, on how the world will function. Uh, not, not even about the U.S. role. I think, I believe the U.S. has lost this role, not only in Israel-Palestine. The U.S. will not have standing in the South, the U.S. will not have standing in the East anymore. The U.S. has really made this all about Israel for reasons beyond our discussion. It's almost, for many people in the South and in the, in the East, it feels it's a cultural war waged by the U.S. And, and Israel is, the, you know, that, that alliance unbreakable uh, uh, trumps anything. It trumps our laws, it trumps our humanity, it trumps our security, it trumps our children, it trumps everything. Uh, and therefore, and that... it's a moment to pause... 
Ambassador, I wanted to ask you about Britain, about the tens of thousands of people who have protested, about Prime Minister Rishi Sunak firing the hard-right Home Secretary Suella Braverman, coming a month after she called Palestinian solidarity marches, quote, hate marches. This is what Prime Minister Sunak said. We've seen now tens of thousands of people take to the streets following the massacre of Jewish this is people, Braverman. the single largest loss of Jewish life since the Holocaust, chanting for the erasure of Israel from the map. To my mind, there's only one way to describe those marches. They are hate marches. Hate marches, uh, Suella Braverman said. And then she was out. The significance of this. Very, very significant. The, the, the main message is that this country, the people of this country, the British people, will not allow for such divisive uh, politicians and rhetoric and discourse. And the, the, the people have really delivered their verdict. I have participated in, in, in all these demos, and most of them I spoke there, and I, I've seen, I've seen firsthand, uh, I've seen every color, every background, I've seen the Christians and the Muslims and the, and the Jewish brothers and sisters who have been with us for a long time. I, I, I've seen a moment of unity of the British people delivering their message that ceasefire now, not in our name, uh, that we have to end this uh, once uh, and for all. And by the way, this is the power of the people. Uh, I must admit, uh, Amy, the position of the UK government is very concerning, uh, 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 very regrettable so far until now, lagging behind. Uh, yet the position of the, of the people, the, the energy of the people is, is really inspiring. And I must say very hopeful because if we go back to history, it's people who ended up illegalities and oppressions, including the apartheid regime of South Africa. It's London here that uh, the anti-apartheid movement emanated from. It's the British people and the American people, the Europeans, the Africans, the Asians that came together in that global movement and suffocated the, the apartheid regime, sucked oxygen out of the apartheid regime, and then we saw the end of that regime and we saw the release of Nelson Mandela. So the power of the people is important, and as much as we, we uh, uh, despise uh, governments, Western governments' position that will be remembered in history, they will be judged through history, as much as we, we really are appalled by that, we are so inspired, empowered, and certain about the power of their people in the UK, in the US, and everywhere. And I think this is different. Now it's a, it's a moment of confliction. I believe this is a movement in the making that will go all the way to ending Israel's illegality and occupation. So let's talk about what they call the day after, the plan for afterwards. You have Netanyahu canceling the war cabinet meeting. Um, and I was just reading an article in the Times of Israel um, uh, that says... In 2019, Yitzhak Ilan, a former deputy head of the Shin Bet, that's the Israeli intelligence agency, who was running for Knesset with the centrist Blue and White Party, told a political gathering that Smotrich was a Jewish terrorist who planned to blow up cars on a major highway during the Gaza disengagement. Uh, Ilan claimed he had personally interrogated Smotrich. Smotrich denied any connection to any plan to destroy infrastructure or commit terror offenses. Uh, Dvir Kariv, who was a senior agent in the Shin Bet at the time, claimed earlier this month in an interview with Channel 12 News that Israeli authorities decided not to prosecute Smotrich and his alleged collaborators because Shin Bet did not want to expose their sources. Now, I bring this up because apparently the finance minister, the far-right Settler uh, Bezalel Smotrich is the one 
who prevented the war cabinet meeting from going, or at least that Netanyahu caved to, afraid he'd lose his coalition, which could mean that he would no longer be prime minister, which could mean he could be going to jail for his own corruption cases. But if you can talk about the cancellation of this war cabinet meeting and what you want to see happen afterwards. The cancellation of the war uh, 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 meeting, whatever it is, is just another expression of how fanatical, uh, how extreme, how supremacist, how dangerous these people are. Not only Smotrich. By the way, Smotrich has published a plan, you can read it, it's online, that he calls, already a few years ago, that he calls for the ethnic cleansing of the rest of Palestinians. He gives us three options. Either we stay as slaves in our own homeland, or... We leave en masse, look what they are doing in Gaza, or we are killed by the army. And he published this. So this is a man who now handles Israel's finance. He pays for the settlements, he pays for the army, etc. But um, there is sitting a uh, convicted terrorist in the Israeli cabinet, including Ben Gvir, who is now handling the so-called national security minister uh, of Israel. It's unbelievable. And you know, one of the, one of the declared aims of war for Netanyahu is to de-radicalize uh, the Palestinian people. I mean, who needs to be de-radicalized uh, here? Ben Gvir, who was convicted by an Israeli judge, Israeli court, uh, as a terrorist uh, and uh, as, a, as a racist. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is a moment when we don't really waste our time. We should not discuss the day uh, after. The day after is going to be up to the Palestinian people. We have our structures, we have our legitimacy, we have our umbrellas, uh, and we will make sure that the day after would be uh, one uh, uh, in a united uh, uh, people uh, like in a united land. Gaza is uh, a, a part of Palestine. And any day after we'll have to include Jerusalem, the West Bank and Gaza uh, in one unit. Uh, we will not accept Israel's dreams, daydreaming, that Gaza will be carved out as they have been trying to do for many, many years now. Israel is a beloved part of our, uh, of our uh, uh, territory. And uh, the, the thing that we need to discuss, Amy, is the day before. And everybody now is wanting us to discuss uh, the, day, the day after. No, the day before. The day before the 7th of October, the occupation, the colonization, the racism, the supremacy, the murders all over the West Bank, the provocations in Jerusalem, the rounding and arresting of our children without trial, without charge, without access to their parents or lawyers. This is what needs to be discussed. The decades long oppression, suppression of an entire nation, the denial, the bare basic denial of basic rights needs to be discussed. The whole idea that Israel could keep a permanent occupation, permanent colonization, permanent siege, permanent denial of refugees to go back to their homes with the help of the U.S. administration and the rest of the West uh, uh, to, to really bypass the Palestinian issue. That is what we are going to discuss uh, uh, soon. Because, you know, for the last so many um, uh, years, uh, the, the West has enabled Israel to actually be convinced that it can bypass us, that uh, the Biden, remember the, 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 the Trump administration, I was the ambassador in Washington during the Trump time, if you remember, Amy, and, uh, you know, uh, and explain uh, what uh, happened. the Trump administration, the, the, the Trump administration has simply uh, completely gave Israel the stamp of approval uh, to undermine any prospect of a two-state solution and to actually keep believing that they could turn their occupation permanent. But then comes the Biden administration, who promised during the election otherwise, but they failed miserably. They did not reverse any 
of the Biden uh, of the Trump's administration uh, very lethal uh, policies and actually they doubled down on the psychology and on the mindset of bypassing the Palestinian issue. They pushed for further normalization between Israel and the non-conflicting parties, you know, Emirates, what have you, even Saudi Arabia. And the fact is, the, the, the Biden administration knows that uh, Israel's issue is with us, not far away. So uh, the, uh, there are two agendas here. There was one of Netanyahu and co, because successive Israeli governments, which is a non-solution agenda, as, 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 as basic as that. And there was the Palestinian and the international agenda, which is so-called uh, uh, the two-state solution, i.e. Israel has got to end its occupation. The Biden administration has got, they did nothing whatsoever in the last three years or so to actually uh, uh, go in that direction. Everything they did was in the opposite di direction. And now they are in this mood of trying to curb Israel, but they are, they are failing to do so because they will not be able to use the, the stick. They are unable to tell Israel, we will stop arming you. We will stop funding you. We will stop protecting you in the Security Council. So Israel is not listening. That's the unfortunate situation. Ambassador, and I want to get your response to it tweet posted Thursday by Secretary of State Tony Blinken. He said, this has been an extraordinarily dangerous year for press around the world. Many killed, many more wounded, hundreds detained, attacked, threatened, injured, simply for doing their jobs. I'm profoundly grateful to the press for getting accurate, timely information to the people. Uh, he wasn't talking um, uh, specifically about what's happened in Gaza, but I'd like you to address this. You addressed a rally recently where you talked about the astounding number of journalists who have been killed um, in Gaza. The numbers are uh, believed to be up to something like 105, um, and the significance of journalists being killed. It's, 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 it's part of, uh, of Israel's uh, deliberate targeting of journalists all over. And remember Shirin Abu Akli and Mr. Blinken was involved in the case of Shirin Abu Akli. And yet again, America put its weight behind quitting Israel of any responsibility uh, about Shirin. And by the way, Shirin is both Palestinian citizen and American citizen. Uh, uh, but now uh, the, this, the Al Jazeera uh, this whole, report uh, targeting. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Al Jazeera, but a Palestinian icon, uh, a beloved Palestinian voice. Uh, of the Palestinian people, a journalist, and uh, you know she's a most prominent, uh, most prominent journalist, uh, uh, sniped, killed by an Israeli soldier in Jenin as she was covering life uh, events, and um, you know Mr. Mr. Blinken was involved, the U.S. was involved, the FBI was involved about their own citizen, and nothing came out. Israel is the exception. Everybody just in the, the every U.S. administration has just simply looked the other way when Israel commits crimes. That's the issue. Israel has been made so immune above every law, above every single basic human value. Now, back to your question, this is also part of the suicide. I'm sorry, the suicide, suicide of the Palestinian people, because if you kill their doctors, their professors, their journalists, etc., then if you kill their elites and the, 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 the sectors that provide life, be it health, be it education, be it media, because media is a, an integral part of any society, then the society will be unable to to survive and go back more than a hundred journalists have been killed in Gaza and the, 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 the count is still going on. So this is part of making our society simply lifeless, unable to survive, unable to stay. And let me say this, maybe this will sound a bit emotional. 
But it's not going to happen because we have a very, very special society, very rooted, very traditional, and knows how to come together in these moments and knows how to survive. We have learned how to survive since the Nakba of 1948. So Israel can break all these laws. Israel can break the very basic human values, but it cannot break us. That's a fact. And look, look at Gaza. You are following what is happening in Gaza. All what Israel is doing is just exposing the savagery, the barbarism this whole entity is about, and our need to end the idea that you can control things by military means. You can't control things by military means. You can only control things when you end the illegalities and the occupation. Ambassador Hassam Zumlat, I want to thank you for being with us. Palestinian ambassador to the United Kingdom who himself lost family members in Gaza, where he is from. Coming up, Francesca Albanese, the United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Occupied Palestinian Territory. Stay with us. In the Depth by Ruba Shamshu. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. As we continue to look at Israel's assault on Gaza, we're joined by Francesca Albanese, the United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Occupied Palestinian Territory. Earlier this week, she denounced reports that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has endorsed expelling all Palestinians from Gaza. Israeli news outlets report Netanyahu told a group of Israeli lawmakers Monday regarding voluntary immigration, this is the direction we're going in, he said. Palestinian leaders denounced Netanyahu for embracing what they describe as ethnic cleansing. Earlier this week, Francesca Albanese tweeted, quote, voluntary migration, no matter how Israeli government calls it, forced displacement is a crime prosecutable under the Rome Statute. Its architect shall be investigated, prosecuted by the ICC. Welcome back to Democracy Now!, Francesca Albanese. Thank you for joining us. Uh, talk about what uh, has been reported as Netanyahu's plan. Uh, good morning, Amy. Uh, yeah, the plan becomes uh, clearer and clearer. Um, we have heard statements made by Israeli politicians, Israeli military commanders referring to the need uh, for the Palestinians from Gaza to move south south uh, first and then more and more south. But um, at the same time, we have seen soldiers entering the Gaza Strip saying, quote unquote, with instructions to destroy, uh, displace and settle. And the more the time passes, the more it becomes clear that there is a plan um, in certain corners of the government to repossess Gaza, to reconquest Gaza, and to uh, convert it into an Israeli area. But this is pure madness, and it's utterly 
illegal. Now, it's not new, huh? because forced displacement is the uh, main trait that characterizes Israeli occupation in the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, and East Jerusalem. It has gone through 56 years, not to mention what has happened before. But now, this, I mean, it's so cynical to call it voluntary migration and continue to evoke as the only possibility for the Palestinians in Gaza to survive, to move somewhere else, to the Sinai or somewhere else in the Arab region, saying that the Palestinians are Arabs. This is like saying that Italians can go anywhere because they are Europeans. This is so racist. But plus, it's worth displacement. It's a crime against humanity and cannot be. Again, it should be, should be stopped. It's shocking to see the silence of the international community in the face of these, uh, of these uh, uh, unfathomable ideas. In a post uh, earlier this week, you compared the Israeli assault on Gaza to the genocidal massacres in Srebrenica and Rwanda. Can you explain? Yeah, actually, I, I, I ne didn't necessarily compare uh, the, the two. I, I'm saying that the international community has been silent and unable to prevent the genocide in Rwanda, to prevent the genocide in uh, in Bosnia Herzegovina, in Srebrenica, and in the same way, it's uh, looking idle at what's happening in the Gaza Strip. But it's worse because, as um, the ambassador um, Zumlok was saying that before, I think it's true. This is televised. If people had not realized what the Nakba is, this is ongoing under our our eyes. But the genocidal element is more clear. Here is not about just displacing people, pushing them out. It, the, the killing, the number of killing in the Gaza Strip, which has been turned into an assassination factory, to use an expression by journalists in um, uh, Plus 972, Israeli journalists in 972. Uh, but also, look at what's going on in the West Bank, where there is no... Um, Hamas uh, military control, military presence, and still this year, 500 Palestinians have been killed. So there is an, a mass killing uh, of Palestinians ongoing, accompanied by genocidal incitement. And this must be stopped. This triggers an obligation to prevent genocide among member states. But again, no one, no one seems very preoccupied uh, in the international community other than human rights actors and yeah, those concerned with Francesca with Albanese, um, you are the UN Special Rapporteur on the Occupied Palestinian Territory. Israel's announced it's going to stop automatically granting visas to employees of the United Nations after it accused the UN of being complicit partners with Hamas. Your response? Baseless, baseless accusations. Uh, I'm appalled at how these attacks against the UN continue to escalate. Because on the one hand, you have two big failures here. And one is induced and the other is inevitable. The, the induced one is the political failure of the UN because it's paralyzed because of the political, um, sorry, of the US veto in the UN Security Council. They should, I mean, there was, they were close to a vote on the ceasefire, but there was the US veto. And on the other hand, the other failure, which is inevitable, it's the humanitarian 
um, machinery of the UN system, which is also under under attack. The UN should be strengthened. The, the, the multilateral system is what can drag us out and establish a minimum, a modicum of order here. But look, what Israel is doing is rampaging, the, uh, raising the attacks against the, U- the UN because the UN are being increasingly critical in the face of the crimes that Israel commits through and through. But the, the threatening UN staff of withdrawing visas, this is not new. I mean, we have to for example, those in my position, this is not something about me particularly, but also the the uh, three special rapporteurs on the occupied Palestinian territory who have preceded me have not been able to enter the occupied Palestinian territory because of uh, the Israeli decision not to cooperate with the mandate, which is a violation of UN oblig- member states' obligation to comply uh, with the UN, including its investigative mechanisms. Uh, Israel behaves the same way with various commissions of inquiries, including the, the current Commission of Inquiry on Israel-Palestine. And more seriously, Israel has basically kicked out three years ago the office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights. This has gone completely in silence. But withdrawing visa to all its international employees who are operating now from Amman. Such a weird precedent. Again, I this is the thing. The UN has also accepted Israel's hubris to become fatter and fatter. And this is the reality today that you have Israeli ambassadors and political leaders smearing everyone, special rapporteurs, committee, commission of inquiries, the US, the UN secretary general, everyone. Where shall we draw the line? Let me ask you about uh, information new out this morning. UNRWA's posted on X that Mm. this year has been the deadliest year in the West Bank on record, with a total of 504 Mm. Palestinians killed this year. I mean, this is for the whole year. It was already the deadliest year before October 7th, when Hamas attacked Israel. Um, Now, more than 300 since October 7th, Palestinians in the West Bank have been killed by either Israeli soldiers or settlers. Yes, primarily soldiers. Um, And this is one, uh, probably the only issue with an otherwise great report by the UN Human Rights Office. Um, It has pointed to the uh, disproportionate, unnecessary use of force um, through military means, which have resulted, yes, in the killing of 500 people, 500 Palestinians this year, mostly by Israeli soldiers. The emphasis on settler violence, though, while it's true, shouldn't distract from the fact that the settlers are there as part of an enterprise, the Israeli enterprise to colonize and annex occupied Palestinian territory. The Israel as a state should be held responsible also for the actions of the settlers, which are never prosecuted, by the way. So that, but again, uh, you know, I, we have to think that, yes, this has been the deadliest year since 2005 when the UN started col- collecting the data outside of conflict against Gaza. But in Gaza, 4,000 people, including 1,000 children, had been killed in 16 years during five wars occurred 
during 16 years of blockade. This is just for those who believe that everything started on the 7th of October. No, it didn't. The situation was appalling before. And we have a special rapporteur. I belong to a community which includes Israeli and Palestinian human rights organizations and many scholars who have called for the end of the oppression of the Palestinian people because the, and the end of the annexation and colonization of the occupied territory because this was the only way to guarantee the security, the safety, the well-being of both Palestinians and Israelis, and we have gone under, unfortunately. Last question, the role of the United States. Uh, in resolution after resolution, they vetoed any call for a ceasefire. The last one, they didn't uh, veto it, um, but they abstained once they got the U.N. Security Council not to include ceasefire in the language. Where do you see um, the U.N. going and the role of the United States in all of this? How powerful, how important is the United States, Francesca? The United States is very important, very powerful, very influential. Is the only single state that can really uh, change the dynamics between Israel and the occupied Palestinian territory, not only because the United States uh, provides a lot of means um, and military aid to Israel, but also because it shelters Israel from its responsibilities, political and legal responsibilities. Again, yes, the last resolution, I mean, the U.S. managed to water it down to a point that, that it makes no sense. The only thing that is needed now, and it's already late, is a ceasefire. So the fact that the U.S. is still <laughs> sort of um, not considering this as an option because it doesn't and it continues to engage with Israel as it, would be, it, it was business as usual, shows profound disrespect toward the Palestinian people. And again, this is a, a level of dehumanization that I've never seen in other... I mean, it, it's not new from Israel, but it's new at this level in this with this magnitude, like endorsed also... I, in the U.S., but also in Europe. I mean, I yeah, there is huge responsibilities, and the U.S. is uh, is leading the front of those who could change the reality on the ground and chose not to do so. How do you see this ending? In the last minute we have, Francesca Albanese, U.N. Special Rapporteur on the Occupied Palestinian Territory, as I was just discussing with the Palestinian ambassador uh, in the United Kingdom, um, uh, Netanyahu just canceled his war cabinet meeting under pressure from the even more far-right finance minister, um, uh, Smotrich. Where is this headed? I know it's heading towards further madness un unless and until it's stopped. And it's going to be uh, um, a very heavy, loaded, dark, green future for both Palestinians and Israelis. So there should be a huge U-turn here and restore international law, basic respect, equality, human rights for both the Israelis and the Palestinians. And it starts with a ceasefire and with a protective presence that allows, that supervises the withdrawal of Israeli troops. This is the moment to end the occupation. And, uh, and it cannot happen without, I think, a protective presence that guarantees for, for a while the safety and security of, of, of both. Francesca Albanese, UN Special Rapporteur on the Occupied Palestinian Territory, speaking to us from Italy. Coming up, the state of Maine has become the second state joining Colorado to bar Donald Trump from the Republican primary ballot over his role in the January 6th insurrection. Back in 20 seconds. 
Haifa to Janine by El Fanoun, Palestinian dance troupe. This is Democracy Now! I'm Amy Goodman. On Thursday, the state of Maine joined Colorado in barring Donald Trump from the Republican primary ballot over his role in the January 6th insurrection. Maine's Secretary of State, Shanna Bellows, issued a written decision saying the insurrection clause in the 14th Amendment makes the former president ineligible to run for public office again. Trump's campaign has vowed to appeal the ruling. A campaign spokesperson described the Bellows' decision as a, quote, hostile assault on American democracy, unquote. The U.S. Supreme Court will likely have the final say on Trump's ballot eligibility. Last week, Colorado's Supreme Court barred Trump from Colorado's primary ballot, but Michigan's Supreme Court has ruled that he can stay on the Michigan ballot. Meanwhile, just last night, California's Secretary of State declined to remove Donald Trump from the presidential primary ballot, despite a call for her to do so from the state's lieutenant governor. California's Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom had opposed the move, saying, quote, we defeat candidates at the polls. For more, we're joined by John Boniface, president of Free Speech for People, which has filed legal challenges to Trump's eligibility to appear on the ballot in a number of states, including Minnesota, Michigan and Oregon. Can you respond to what's happened in Maine and then talk, John, about um, those who are opposed to this, Republican and Democratic alike, who say this should be decided by the people at polls, not by courts, whether Donald Trump can run for president again. Yes, thank you, Amy, for having me. This is a highly significant decision that the Maine Secretary of State has issued, barring Donald Trump from the ballot in the state of Maine because he is disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. That critical constitutional provision makes clear that anyone who takes an oath of office and then engages in insurrection is forever barred from public office again. Secretary Bellows had a duty to enforce the mandate of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment against Donald Trump, and she carried out that duty, and we thank her for that. And secretaries of state all across the country must now follow her courage and carry out their duty to bar Donald Trump from their state ballots. And the Colorado Supreme Court, as well, had a duty to follow the Constitution, and they did. For those who say that this needs to be decided at the ballot box, that is ignoring the very purpose of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. We have in our Constitution basic qualifications for serving as President of the United States. You have to be 35 years of age by the time of the inauguration. You have to be a natural-born citizen. And you have to have not taken an oath of office and then engaged in insurrection. These are qualifications for serving the office of president. And if we are going to ignore this critical constitutional provision, we do it with the risk of setting a dangerous precedent going forward, that elected officials can now incite an insurrection, mobilize and facilitate an insurrection, threatening our republic, and then move on to serve in public office again. It is contrary to what the framers of the 14th Amendment intended, and is exactly why we will be continuing to file challenges to Donald Trump's eligibility in other key states. So talk about where Article 3 of the 14th Amendment came from. Talk about its roots in the Confederacy. Yes, this, this critical provision of the 14th Amendment was, of course, part of that amendment enacted after the Civil War, after the first insurrection in our nation's history. And it was designed to address ex-Confederates in positions of power or who sought to attain positions of power who had previously taken an oath 
to defend the Constitution. And the framers of the 14th Amendment were clear that if you took that prior oath to defend the Constitution and then you engaged in leading the first insurrection in our nation, the Civil War, then you are barred from holding public office again. These ex-Confederates who had taken that oath and then engaged in the insurrection were seen as threats to the Republic. But it's important to note that the framers debated and decided that the 14th Amendment, Section 3, would not solely apply to the ex-Confederates. It would apply to any future insurrection. They were prospective in their relief as well. They recognized that there needed to be this safeguard to our democracy. So for people who say this is anti-democratic small d, they're getting it totally wrong. This is about defending our democracy, defending our Constitution. You cannot allow people who take that oath of office to defend the Constitution and then turn around and incite an insurrection, as Donald Trump did, and then say they're going to serve in public office again, especially not the highest office of the land. That's what's at stake here. It's about defending our republic. Um, uh, what states might do this next? In The New York Times, a decision expected soon in Oregon, where the same group that filed the Michigan lawsuit, your group, John, Free Speech for People, is seeking to have the state Supreme Court remove Donald Trump from that presidential primary uh, ballot. And what about this going to the U.S. Supreme Court? What do you expect from this? Where well, Donald Trump has appointed three of the court justices. Yes. Well, first on Oregon, we, we represent a diverse group of voters challenging Donald Trump's eligibility to serve on the presidential primary and general election ballot there. We filed what's known as a mandamus action before the state Supreme Court, meaning that we want the Oregon S Supreme Court to take it up immediately. And importantly, the Secretary of State of Oregon, in her filings before the state Supreme Court, agreed that the matter should be taken up immediately by the state Supreme Court. This is a matter of critical importance for the state and for the nation. So we're waiting on the state Supreme Court to take the next action with respect to those filings, and we expect that to happen soon. As far as the U.S. Supreme Court, people do highlight the three of those appointees were Donald Trump appointees. But it's worth noting that after the 2020 election, as we know, Donald Trump filed more than 60 court cases all across the country trying to overturn the 2020 election based on the big lie, the, the lie that there was massive fraud in the 2020 election with no evidence whatsoever. He lost every single one of those cases. And every time he tried to get one of those cases to the Supreme Court, he lost that as well. The Supreme Court never agreed with their with, with his claims at all. And they never even agreed to take any of his cases. So we have it 10 is seconds, John. I, I would just say that we have to see what the Supreme Court will do, but they ought to follow the mandate of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment and the Constitution. We have to leave it there. John Boniface, president of Free Speech for People. And that does it for our show. A huge congratulations to our producer, John Hamilton, and his wonderful wife, Yara, on the birth of their son this morning, William Dernay Hamilton. And congratulations to Jasmine, his sister, as well. On Monday, New Year's Day, we'll bring you a special on Julian Assange, the imprisoned WikiLeaks founder, the High Court of Justice in London. We'll hear what may be Assange's final appeal soon. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks for joining us.